and people somehow coerced everything to happen. Jesus laid down his life willingly for you. Some of you need to hear that. Like you, you are so bogged down in feeling like you have not been good enough, you've been terrible, or this has just been a bad life so far, or even maybe just more on kind of like the short term, a bad week. So you feel like, man, I'm just not deserving of that love. But you understand, Jesus laid down. He chose to die for you because he loves you, because he had compassion. It was born out of the compassion that he has for you. Sometimes I think we, we, we get this confused that God is under some obligation to die for you. Like, well, he's God. He has to do that. No, he, he could still be God and be perfectly just, holy, and righteous and not have died for us. That, that would not have changed his character. He'd be perfectly in the right to do that. But yet something in him pitied us. We don't like to be said that we're pitied, but, but he saw us in our sin and our lostness and said, I, I'd rather them experience life through me. This is how I know that God is not under obligation to die for you, but I also know that Jesus laid down his life for you. Jesus said these words in John 10. He said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. For this reason... The Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. He loves you. And what's beautiful about his example of love is he doesn't count the cost of his love for you. He doesn't think about what return you could give to him. What, what could you do for me in return? If I, if I die for you, what could you do for me? He's not weighing up if you deserve it. And there's no self-interest in it. See, see that's true love, right? True love is I'm going to give something to somebody knowing that I'll never be repaid. True love is I know this does me no good but does them all good. True love is thinking... Whatever it costs, I'll do it. It's not, I don't, I don't care what I might lose, I'll just want to do it for them. That, that's true love. Or even thinking of, maybe they don't need that, or maybe they don't deserve that. that that's, not, that's not even the framework for true love. And that's why Christ shows you true love in, in that he lays down his life for you. Because think about it, the cost was great, but he didn't count that cost as something that it would, and would stop him from dying for you. He didn't think that you could return something to him because guess what? You couldn't give back his life to him. He's the only one that could raise it up from the dead. So resurrection, you and I don't have the technology or the ability or the power to offer that to him. So, so even if he said, well, I could die for them, but then I know they can bring me back later. We don't have that ability. So there's no return. He doesn't weigh up if you and I are deserving because guess what? We're not. In fact, it's not like we were in, our, in the depths of our sin asking him, saying, hey, could you die for us? Because we really need a savior. Like, we really need salvation. So if you would just go to that cross for us, then everything would be better. We didn't ask. Instead, he did it for us. 
that's why God is so well pleased. And in, in John 10, when Jesus says, this is why the Father loves me, the Father loves what Jesus has done by sacrificing himself because it's perfectly pure love. It is love in the most heightened, purest form ever. And God as the Holy One, the separate one, loves pure and holy things because that's what he's about. He loves pure and holy things. It is perfect and pure. So he is, he is in love and loves what Jesus has done for you by dying for you. Not out of self-interest, not out of what you could get back to him, not thinking, well, well, if I die for them, then, you know, I can fast forward to 2,000 years from now. They'll build big buildings and have big steeples in my name, and then they'll gather and talk about me a bunch. That's like, that's what I really want. That's, none of that would matter. He did it because he doesn't need anything from us, but he loves us. So Jesus' life wasn't wrestled away from him. He had the free will to choose to die for you. Listen. If you feel like you are insignificant at any level, go back to this verse and remind yourself that he willingly died for you. God God has free will to do whatever he wants. And his free will choice was to die for you because he loves you. Like, no matter what you've been told, what people have made you feel, what you yourself tell yourself, like if you are the kind of person that has a lot of self-talk and self-doubt and you tear yourself down and say, yeah, I'm not worth anything. I, I am so terrible at all this and I just, I don't even know why I'm here. God is directly speaking to you right now saying, you are here because I love you and I want you to understand and embrace my love. I want you to experience love. I want you to experience life, life to the fullest. He has great compassion for you. That compassion drove him to action. This is, this is the key here. We said that Cain was all about hate and taking life, and Jesus is all about giving life. And this, is, this is what it really comes down to. True love is not satisfied with just expressing itself with words. True love must and wants to express itself in action. It's like this. Jesus could have just given you the Bible and loaded it up with all these great statements of how much he loves you, how great he thinks you are, and all these good things. But at the end of the day, those things would not have driven into your heart as much as the action that he took. The action that he took proves, expresses, shows, makes it concrete for you to know that he loves you despite whatever's happened in your life, despite whatever's going to happen in your life, that he loves you. Th- this is unheard of. It- it's-, it's things that Paul in Ephesians 3 prays that we would understand the height, the depth, the width of his love because it's, it's-, it's something that we just can't even fathom. We can't get. Why would God love us so much? Because he is infinitely holy and good and his compassion runs so deep for you and he loves you so desperately and he wants you to know that love the enemy satan wants to take that away from you he wants you to believe that you're not worth what christ did but christ gave his life willingly so that you may know his love and so you may be forgiven of the sin that separates you from from god that's what john wants you to know about god's love now that portion 
And some of you guys have heard that before and you think God is love, but, but that, is, that portion should drive you to action if you're a believer in Christ. If you're not a believer in Christ, there, here's where you need to stop and just say, okay, first of all, the good news for you tonight is God loves you. God sent his son to prove that he loves you because if you're sitting there saying, like, I don't think this works, the proof is on the cross where Jesus died for you. And so for you tonight, you stop here and you just go, God gave his life for me. For my insignificant life, God made significant because he chose to die for me. If you're a non-believer in Christ, that's where you land tonight, and you cry out to God and say, God, I love you, and I want to be with you, and I want to surrender my life to you because of this great love that you have given me. And for others of you who, who claim to already be a follower of Christ, and you're already in that love, and you've embraced Christ, and whether you feel it really strongly right now or you don't, the rest of this is what do you do with that? What do you do with the fact that he loves you so deeply? How do you respond? So ba back in the verse that we were starting in, 1 John 3, it says this. But he laid down his life for us, and we, those who are in Christ, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So, so here's, what it, here's what he sets up, okay? If you are following Christ, you are to lay down your life for the brothers. Now, I think most of you guys understand what this is saying because he just set up that Jesus died for us. That literally laid down his life. So what he's saying is, is that as a believer in Christ, you have to be willing to go to the depths that Jesus would. Now, you can't save people from their sins. Only Jesus could do that. His death is the only one that pays for people's sins. So if you want to sacrifice, sacrifice yourself for your family or your friends, that's great. You saved their physical body from harm, but you can't save their soul. Only Jesus can. But if it was to be required of you that somebody was to put other person's life in danger and you had the opportunity to step in and lay down your life to save them, we ought to do it. And that's heavy. And that's big. But at some level, John is saying, you have to be willing to go that far. But not all of you guys are going to have to do that. Not every one of you guys is ever going to be faced with a life or death situation where you are going to literally have to give up your physical body and your life for the life of somebody else. Maybe you will, but you may not be called to do that. That might be more of the rare circumstance. The more real circumstance that every single one of us on a daily basis needs to understand is if anyone has the world's goods, which we all do, and sees his brother in need, yet we close our heart against him, how can God's love abide in us? See, here's what it is. It's really easy to be like, I love people, because I'm a Christian, so I love God and I love people. Do you love a person? It's really easy to talk on, okay, like macro, which means big levels. Like, I love the church. Do you like, in the micro, the people in the church? Right? It's really easy to talk about, like, I'm big on loving everybody, but then do you avoid sitting with people because you can't love them when you're in class together or in church together or you're around town and you're in Walmart and, man, Kernersville Walmart is like the place where everybody gathers at some point. And so you see them across the way and you're like, they're an A23. I'm going to go to J25 and won't see them. Do you play that game, right? It's really easy to say you love people, but do you love a person? And that's what John is really getting after. You have to be willing to lay down your life. But more realistically, what's going to be required of you is that you are going to need to meet, some, need to meet another's needs 
This comes out of Deuteronomy 15, 7 and 8. I'm going to read a couple of these verses for you, and then I'm going to show you an illustration and hopefully bring this home. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns or within the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut up your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cried to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this is the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and all that you undertake. Here's, what, here's what's happening in this Deuteronomy passage, and this is where John kind of gets a little bit of this from, this is what's set up. Okay, God had said that if you loan to somebody, like another friend, there is a seven-year window. The reason why is because he didn't want you to make loans that you couldn't pay back, okay? So he didn't want people to take out massive loans with each other, where it was like an exorbitant amount of money that it would take like a lifetime to pay them back, and you're always in debt. He said, no, no, just loan within seven-year windows. But at the end of a seven-year window, it was called the year of release, and so anybody who owed a debt, no matter how big or small, that seven-year window, when it came to a close, whatever was left, the person who lent the money out or lent the goods out was able just to erase whatever was still owed. So if you owed me 50 bucks still in that, in that loan, and the seventh-year window closed, I would just go, ah, we're done. We're even, Stephen. 50 bucks, it's cool, whatever. So in this passage, and, and specifically in verses 9 and 10, when it says this, in the seventh year, the, the year of release is near, your eye looked grudgingly on your poor brother. What he's saying here is, okay, so listen, you lent to somebody and you gave to somebody, or somebody give, is coming to you saying, hey, I need something really quickly, and you go, ooh, it's December of the sixth year. The seventh year's about to commence, and I have to release you. So I'm not going to get anything back. So, uh, yes, yeah, sorry, not sorry. Not going to lend to you. Th that's what he's saying. Don't do that to your brothers. Give freely. Why? Well, because you don't want him to cry out on the Lord against you, and do, you would be guilty of sin because you're holding back. You are stingy. We're stingy people, right? We are very stingy. We like to hold on to our stuff and don't let anybody else touch the stuff that we have. And in 1 John, he says, don't close your heart to somebody. I thought about this before. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on him because he's always in front. Austin, I'm going to have you come up here on stage. All right, Austin. All right, so I want you to imagine, go all the way up, all the way up, Austin, okay? So I want you guys to imagine that there are no chairs in this room. This room is empty, okay? And Austin just went for a huge, long run. I'm talking like marathon-style run, okay? Now, he is exhausted, all right? You can act exhausted if you want. That's, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. Hands on knees. That's good. So he's exhausted, okay? And all he wants is a chair to sit down. To take a load off. His feet are killing him. Now you could say, man, you just sit on the floor. But man, that floor is hard. He doesn't need that. He needs a chair. Now, let's just imagine I see his need. I see his need. You need a chair. Yeah, back in that position. That's good. Your knee's hurting. I'm so sorry. You would need a chair, huh? Let's see what's in here. Got a lot of chairs in here. Hey, you know what? I'm going to close the door on him. Like, I, I'm just going to close it. In fact, I'm going to lock it. Now, that's pretty mean, right? 
Now, so when it says in 1 John, don't close your heart. When you see somebody in need, don't close off your heart to him. That word literally means closing a door and locking it. There are two conditions that he talks about for helping others. One, you have to have the world's goods. Here's what happens. He needs a chair. No, you're so good. Stay up there. He needs a chair. Guess what I have in here? Chairs. Lots of them, in fact. I can prove it. I've got one right here. I have the world's goods. I see the need in his life. I see it. With my own eyes, I visibly see that he is hurting. And instead I do this. Close the door, and I'm going to lock it. See you, Austin. Now here's the problem. You can take a seat. Give him a hand. That was good. It was good acting. Here's the problem. If the two things, the two conditions are met, you have the world's goods. I had the ability, physically have the things ready. I had an abundance of chairs in there, by the way. The classroom full. If you have the need, or you have the goods, and you see the need, then you must act. You can't stand by. That, that's basically what this text, if you were just to break it down, make it easy for me, Pastor Kyle, here it is. If you have the world's goods, and you see a need, and that good will meet the need, then you are to not stand by. Here's our problem. Some of us see the need and we still close the door. Some of us, instead of seeing the need, we do this. We stay in here and we don't even act like we see anything because we're so wrapped up in ourselves. You're so wrapped up in yourself that you don't even know what's going on out here. You didn't even know that Austin was hurt because you're so wrapped up in your own world that you can't physically see the need. Some of you are so dialed into something else that you can't see the world's needs around you. Or you're so consumed with your own stuff that you can't lift your eyes up and see the needs of those around you. But if you see it, you have to act. This is the problem for many of us is that we don't see what people need. I think the other problem is this, is that some of you guys would see the need, and if, pretend Austin's up there again, he doesn't have to go back up there unless he wants to, but, but you, you go up there and you, you see the need, and you know what a lot of people do? This is what they do. He, he probably deserves whatever his problem is. You know, he, he was holding his knee in a weird way. You know what it was? It's because he has the wrong shoes on. Like his shoes are the problem. That's why his knee hurts, and so it's not my fault that he wore the wrong shoes on his marathon, and he needs a chair now, and now he's all in pain. Not my fault. Not my problem that you didn't wear the right kicks. Now, those are actually not, not, not too bad. It'd be probably better if I had Colin up there in Crocs, not in sport mode, and be like, he ran a marathon in Crocs, not in sport mode. His problem, not my problem, right? No, see, that's how most of us look at people with a need. We go, look, they probably made a mistake, and it's their own stupidity or their own ignorance or their own foolishness that caused them to be in the situation they're in. So therefore, they don't deserve, they don't deserve what I have to ha offer them. They don't need my, they don't deserve my help. It's their own fault. That's how most of us look at people. It's their own fault that they're in, that in, they're in a situation. Either they were lazy or bad decision-making or, or something else in their life that it's their fault that they're in that position. So why do I have to be the person who takes care of them? 
That's how we see most people, honestly. When we see needs, we go, man, that's probably their fault. But, but again, if Jesus is the model that we're taking for giving, how, how would our lives look if Jesus looked at us like that? We chose the same. We chose those things, right? We, we willingly chose to sin. In our own ignorance, in our own pride, in our own foolishness, we chose. Jesus actually has every right to look at us and go, yeah, you did that. You wanted that. And yet he said, I'm going to give. I'm going to lay down my life. So that can't be a right excuse for us to withhold from other people. So how are we going to open our hands and our hearts? Because in the Deuteronomy 15 passage, it talks about this, is that if you, if you close off your hand and you close off your heart towards others, then your heart is hardened. Think about that. Like, like you, you start closing your hand from giving to your brothers and sisters in Christ and people who you see in need. It, your heart is hardened. You want to close off your heart to God's work in your life? Here's a way to do it. Start just being stingy and not giving to other people when you see need. And, and, and here's the thing, and I'm going to break this down, this last little three-part before we leave. Whenever I say that, everybody immediately goes to money, right? And, and speaking to a room full of teenagers where the majority of you are still um, reliable or, or, sorry, reliant on your parents' income, not your own income. Now, some of you guys have jobs. It's great. But, but you guys are reliant on your parents for income, right? So... So I get that, and you may say, I have a very limited amount of capital or money that I can just be dishing out to people when I see need. That's fair. However, you have to be willing to give people time. Now, possessions, on a grand scheme, this would be a lot longer sermon if we really wanted to dig into the uh, details about this. You are richer than 99% of the other people in the world right now, so you do have possessions that you could freely give and you would be fine really, out of your abundance. But we don't need to go into the depths of that. This is just true. But here's, here's just an easy one. Give someone the time. And, 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 and realize, like, that's a sacrifice, right? To, to deal with somebody and listen to the stuff that they're dealing with and the difficulties in their life or, or to enter into the things in their life that are challenging takes time. A lot of times, you are the person who doesn't leave the room when the need is out here when it comes to somebody's relational time. Because you have your own stuff that you want to do. I want to play video games. Like, I don't, I don't want to deal with his stuff. I don't want to. I want to do this over here. I want to have fun. I want to go, you know, get new shoes. I want to do all these things. Whatever it is, this person has a relational need. You have the ability to meet it by just listening. And yet you decide, I don't want to listen. I don't want to talk to them. They're weird. It's going to be awkward. Listen, if I had a dime for every time I talked to somebody who was awkward, I would probably be halfway to retirement. Maybe more. That'd be great. And I'm not saying it's you guys. It's like in the world. There's so many awkward people in the world. It's amazing, right? I could be one of them. I don't even know. But here's the reality. Give them time. Give them time. Lay down your life. Lay down your comfort to give others time. They may need it. They may be hurting. Finally, 
you can give somebody spiritual encouragement or spiritual blessings. This is something that I didn't really get until I was in college, and I, I, I pray I can impart this on you, that you would understand the value of praying for somebody and with somebody. It's one thing to say, hey, I'm praying for you, and then you do that in the quiet of your own time. That's great. It's a whole other thing to sit and actually pray in the presence of another person for the very thing that they asked you to pray for. That's powerful. That's encouraging. Like, I know that people are often praying for me. I hear from them all the time. They're like, hey, I've been praying for you lately. I hope everything's going well. That's great. But you know what really impacts me is when somebody sits with me and says, hey, let's pray together real quick. I'd love to pray for you. You can encourage somebody with scripture. You can, you can say, hey, listen, I just don't know if this will bless you or not. Or you know what they're struggling with. And you go, I, this verse came to mind. I want to give this verse to you because it just it's helped me in a lot of seasons. Maybe it could be 1 John 3.16. Who knows? But you can pray somebody or give somebody scripture. And finally, maybe, maybe it's just serving. They, you know, people in church have needs. They have a need for a volunteer or they have a need for this to be filled. And you can give of your time and serve them. That's a spiritual blessing. It's an act of service. If you see a need, you have the world's goods, then you should meet it. If you're able to, you should. That's what we ought to do. Here's the reason why. I'm going to finish with this. Jesus himself said this. It is more blessed to give than receive. And so if you want to experience the promise and the life-giving words that Jesus says right there, it is better and it is blessed to give than to receive. The more you do that with your time, your goods, and spiritual things that you can offer to people, you'll be blessed. So if you see a need, meet it. Don't leave somebody in their hurt. Don't let them linger in that. Meet it. Why? Because God didn't leave you in your hurt. He loved you too much to leave you there. We're to love others because we love them too much to leave them there. Let's pray. Father God, we uh, just thank you so much for the love that you have shown us. The love that was displayed on a cross. Love that was displayed at a mountain that was designed to be one that was a reminder of death. On that mountain, you displayed your infinite love for us out of your infinite compassion and mercy for us. God, I just pray for the students in here who struggle to understand that you so deeply love them. Lord, I, I hope tonight they understand that you willingly chose to go to the cross for them so they know, may be embraced by your love. God, for others of us who've experienced that love and know it, God, may it continue to do what it only can do, do a transformative work in our hearts so that we may be people who give more than we receive. Giving to others. When we see needs, we see those hurting, we look to see how can we help. We have the ability to help. So we want to. Because we're pressed upon by your spirit to do so. God, be with us. May we be a giving people, not a stingy people. Not people who look at others and say, well, we don't want to give to them because they won't be able to pay us back. No, we, we don't count those things because if we're following what you commanded of us in First John 2, we don't love the things of this world. 
So since we don't love the things of this world, it's easy to give them up for others. Because we know what we have waiting for us is so much better. So Lord, may we be less in love with the things of this world and be more gripped with you that we're able to freely give to those who have needs. So God, be with us and help us to love one another this week. Love somebody that maybe we're challenged to do so because of a past or because they're difficult or maybe just because we have been so wrapped up in ourselves. Remove those chains from us. Remove that bondage from us so we may love others well this week. God, we pray all these